This is episode 17 of the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. This is Andrew Hines and today we have a very special episode on student rentals. I had on the show Koken Onosawa and he is only 23 years old. This guy did his first deal at 17 years old so you are not going to want to miss this. I had no idea how old he was until he dropped the bomb on me in the podcast because I just had him over and I honestly didn't know where this chat was going to go. He came over, we started talking, and we got onto a long chat about student rentals and joint ventures and how to get started at such a ridiculously young age with little to no capital uh, and really just playing on the resources that he had available to him. It was a really cool and really impressive uh, discussion, and he's got a ton of wisdom for a guy his age. Uh, so I really appreciated having him on the show, and I can only imagine what he's going to do by the time he's uh, 30 and older. So, uh, take it in. This is probably one of those ones that uh, that you might want to listen to a couple of times because it's really just a candid discussion between he and I. It goes back and forth quite a bit uh, on our perspectives with student rental investing. So if you've ever had interest in that, uh, it's going to be helpful. Uh, student rental investing, for those who don't know, is an avenue that typically yields higher cash flow than other types of investments. So this is definitely something to consider in your portfolio even if it's not going to be a main piece uh, for me it's a very large piece it's the majority of my portfolio and uh, that may change in the future but for right now it's a fantastic asset before we get into the podcast for today this will be the last one i do this announcement on for this specific event but uh, on wednesday May the 24th at uh, Jack Astor's in Burlington, Ontario. So that's in the Hamilton area. So friends on the west side of Toronto or anybody who just wants to make the drive out, if you are an investor and you are an active investor and you'd like to be a part of this and networking with other active investors to share ideas and help bring each other up, I've designed an event just for that. Uh, totally free. This is just so that we can all help each other. If you're interested in that, I'm going to put the link to the group in the description of this podcast. So it'll it'll be in the, the uh, episode notes, or you can reach out to me on Instagram or Facebook at the Andrew Hines, and uh, I can send you the link so that you can uh, get the info. Even if you can't make it to this one, if if you fit the description, you are an investor, you'd like to be a part of it in the future, still join the group, hit me up, join the group, and uh, there's going to be more opportunities. One last announcement, and uh, there's no compensation for this whatsoever, but a bunch of my real estate friends are going to be taking the stage next weekend for OREC, which is the Ontario Real Estate Conference. It's hosted by Jeff Weibo, Matt McKeever. Um, several of the guests that have been on this podcast are going to be speaking at that weekend. So I thought, hey, give those guys a shout out. Uh, I'm going to put the link to OREC in the episode notes as well. And uh, if you're interested, just click that link and, and you can buy tickets for it there. I'm sad that I can't go. I'm going to be going on my bachelor party, but uh, there's no reason for you to miss it if, uh, if you're interested and you're going to be in the area. So without further ado, please enjoy episode 17 with Koken Onasawa. Hello and welcome to the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. Today I have Koken Onosawa on the show and I'm not going to ask him if I did it right because I already asked him how to say it, <laughs> although that might not be right anyway. Uh, but anyways, Koken, how are you doing today? Yeah, pretty good. Pretty good. 
So Koken is a realtor and he primarily operates out of the Niagara region. Yeah. Fair enough. And uh, he and I crossed paths through one of our fellow investors and uh, we're talking a lot of real estate these days. Koken's an investor himself. He's got a handful of properties and uh, well, let's just let him talk about it. So <laughs> anyways, thanks again for coming on the show and uh, yeah, let's hear your story, Koken. Yeah. So my story, uh, it's a little bit of a unique story. So before I was a realtor, I was an investor. Um, I started uh, in 2013, about close to six years ago now. And um, I guess the long story is, um, so I'm just going to drop something here. I'm 23 years old right now. Wow. Um, <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah. So the, the way I got started is I was in my last year of high school. I got accepted to university at UTM. Um, and I was planning on attending actually. So I went on one of the campus tours and the one thing that stuck in my mind was it was so expensive to live on residence. It was like 850 a month or so. And it just sparked this little idea that, Hey, can I live maybe off campus? If I can find a way to buy a house, I had no concept of how to buy a house, what it cost to do that, what a down payment was like nothing, but I was just, just an idea, you know? There are houses with more than a few bedrooms where maybe I live one. I'm going to, if I go to school, I'll have friends who can rent the rest and maybe I can live for free. Just that idea. That's all I had. Googled it. I found uh, the brokerage that I now work out of, uh, Rockstar Real Estate. Uh, went to one of their free training classes, joined as a member. Um, and then that was sort of where I got that idea that, hey, maybe I can buy a place and rent it out versus... Um, maybe just going the, the traditional route per se. That idea though led down like this path that I could have never foreseen. So what I decided at that time is, okay, let me skip going to university for a year uh, and instead uh, work, save money to put that down payment on a house. Me and my brother already had talked like a million business ideas before this and we're like, okay, this maybe seems like the most feasible idea that we can get started without you know, buying a franchise or doing, doing something crazy. Um, so let's just, he, he had already been working a couple of years. He's older, right? Okay. Uh, been saving some money. So I said, okay, let me work as well. I'll save some money. And then maybe together we can buy this, this house that I want to buy uh, near the campus. Uh, after we joined the brokerage, got introduced to a few other ideas on investing in real estate and maybe how I could get started sooner than with a student rental. Uh, so I then went to my parents who had never owned a property ever before in their life. We were renting a place at this time and I told them, you guys have always talked to us about we should buy a house. So I told them, this is how we're going to buy a house. We live in Toronto, so we can't afford to buy a house in Toronto. But instead, we're going to go up to Barrie and buy this townhouse. And then the next home was a semi-detached in Cambridge. At that, at that time, the prices were around 250 ish uh, So given their limited income, they were able to qualify for those properties versus, say, a house in Toronto. Um, so that got our first foot in the door and technically they're joint ventures. So me and my brother are sort of the working partner on those two deals and my parents put up the down payment and qualified for the mortgage. Okay. So that's sort of testament to, uh, <laughs> start with friends and family when you're, yeah. when it comes to joint ventures, they're, they're going to be your easiest sell cause they want to see you succeed. Right. Yeah. And they must've believed in you to some degree to, uh, to put their money on the line. Yeah. So they had the trust, but obviously they had no clue. Honestly speaking, we had no clue either about what we had to do. The only saving grace for us was that at that time I was working with um, a realtor, Leslie, who works out of my brokerage too, who owned investment properties herself. And she was the one who sort of said, okay, you know what? 
let's look in these areas where the prices make sense. You can get a good amount of rent. So she was guiding us through this when basically if we had worked with anyone else who just wanted to make a sale, for example, they may have told us, oh, buy a condo in Mississauga, maybe where the prices are much higher. The numbers don't make sense. We wouldn't have known the better. So you, you felt like your realtor really was on your side here. Uh, she wasn't just trying to make a sale. She was trying to help you succeed. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and for us, that made the biggest difference because it wasn't just us on the line. It was our parents and like their hard-earned savings. Um, and to give you context, like my dad, when we got started, was working a minimum wage job. And like in the last 10 years, right, we've been living in Canada. He got started as a security guard. He still works as a security guard right now. And then like even both my parents, they never actually made a lot of money. They just are super frugal and they saved what money they had. And here we went to them. We told them, let's take all your savings and let's put it into an investment. So even after we bought the property, there was no room for failure. Like we had to make it work. And we did have many failures where things went wrong, but we, we, we didn't have the option to quit. I should say like, it had to work. There was no other way around it. And right. like, yeah, I think that that really helped us get started in a way that like we, we just didn't have another choice. We didn't have anything else at that time lucrative going on that we could feel like, oh, you know what? If this doesn't work out, we can move on to the next thing. No, this was it. <laughs> we had to make it work. Yeah. Well, once you're in, you're in, right? Yeah. And I, I know that feeling I've been in on a deal and that's that's when you got to you know, it's sink or swim, yeah. right? Yeah, absolutely. When, when you know you're in the middle of a project and there's got to be a sale or you got to get a tenant, you do extra things that you might not. Um, otherwise, I actually had something similar happen this year because my pro- property manager fired me as a client. <laughs> uh, I just wanted to rent my own properties, which I guess I had it coming. Okay. Uh, but uh, anyway, so they uh, they didn't like that. Is That was their that big part of their revenue. Mm-hmm. And uh you know, for for whatever reason, I guess they just decided, hey, well, you're 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 on your own. So I had, and then all of a sudden, all I had I had like three quarters of my portfolio all turnover for student rentals all That's at rough. once, and I was just like, oh my god, <laughs> I'm like, how am I going to do this? How am I going to uh, to retenant all these properties? And uh, yeah, I was driving down to London twice a week, yeah. doing some showings myself. Um, I know that feeling. It's, you, sometimes it's you just got to do it, right? <laughs> like, but then at the end, you know, at the end of all that, when I got these huge deposits, like right off the bat, it saved yeah. me like ten, twelve thousand dollars right off the bat. So it was like it's hard. It's hard to say it wasn't. It wasn't yeah. worth it. Exactly. Exactly. Like to give you context, those first two homes we bought, they were single family homes. We were planning on doing a rent to own, right? For those who don't know, it's you're buying a property and you're renting it to a tenant who will hopefully buy the home right. in two to three years. Um, that plan didn't work in our case on those particular properties. We really struggled to find good quality tenants who would then be able to buy out the home. So we had to sort of shift a few months in to just finding a regular tenant. But on those first two homes, we had multiple vacancies where we get someone who would say they're a good rental and candidate due to our inexperience. We sometimes chose people we shouldn't have. Mm-hmm. And then we had it go south where they stopped paying the rent. And then they're in there for three months. They haven't paid the rent. And then they tell us, you know what? We don't think this is going to work out. We're just going to move out. And then we're dealing with those vacancies. And I can really relate to what he said because we had the property in Barrie, the property in Cambridge. We lived in Toronto at this time. 
I didn't have a car. My brother was the only one who had a car. Um, and we both worked full time, right? So we'd be going to our work. He'd then come to my work, pick me up, and then we'd be driving to Barry to do a showing. And we'd do two showings per week per property, except they were in, it's like four days of our week is gone just doing tenant showings. Um, and at that time, our parents basically gave almost all of their savings for the down payments. So whenever we had vacancies, extra expenses, carrying costs, we fronted that while because this was our inexperience leading yeah. to this issue. So me and my brother. So that time in our life was probably one of the roughest times where basically all our income that we would have saved went into just carrying these two homes that we were not living in. Right. And at the same time, we were driving four days a week. Anyways, we got through it. But yeah, those are those trying moments where you'll you'll be really glad that you hung on to the property. Yeah. Uh, but like when you look back, but in that time, it's uh, it's deadly. So so to give it some context to the people who aren't from that area, you had basically an hour and a half in one direction to go, yeah. and then an, probably about forty five minutes in the other, or an hour. To- For, I think because of the highways, the time ends up being about the same. Both ended up being roughly an hour. One north, one uh, oh, west okay. for us. So, so, so your round trips could be in the three, four hour yeah. range, and then you'd have some tenant showings where no one shows up, and then you're like, "Why did I <laughs> just drive here an hour?" That's where that's where you really. So, landlord tip: um, you really have to pick a day. Like I do showings on these two days, and you yeah. just tell the tenants like these are the blocks, yeah. and uh, that actually helps because when you get multiple tenants through at the same absolutely, time, absolutely. Then they all see, oh, other people are interested in this property too. I think that puts a little urgency on people. I think, to be honest, and between across all our properties, I've done quite a few fills at this mm-hmm. point. Very few times have we got a lease signed when it was one person showing up, seeing the home, and they like it. That happens, but from my experience, most of the time it's like three, four people come, half of them are interested. And many times they're interested because they see the other people wanting the place. And it's social proof, right? It's right in front of them. So, like, my, my brother is the funny guy. He he manages our student rentals right now. He's told me, like, if one student or one group of students wants to see the property, he will not show it to them. It's like, yeah. it's literally a waste of time. Because they will not decide if they're the only ones there. Instead, I'll push them to wait one or two days. Yeah. get three, four groups at the same time, then I know for sure at least one of them will sign. Then I don't have to show the place a million times. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I've I've been in the same boat as a as a student student rental landlord. Yeah. The amount of times that I've had to I've had kids request, <laughs> oh well can we just show can we see it one more time? because uh, my other two roommates want to see it. Yeah. And then that day one of them doesn't show. Oh yeah, that last one just wants to see it. Yeah. And I had one of the ones that I actually did sign the lease with, but I had to show it to them three times. And that was kind of frustrating. (laughs) But it it all depends on how in demand you are and and where where your product is. Because I knew with with that house and the other one, like I had a couple that were like, they're good, they'll rent consistently, but they don't have that fly off the shelf pricing or tendency because they're not maybe quite as close to the university as some of the others. They're nicer, but yeah. they're a little further. So um, the, the uh, other one I've told this story on a few times, I have it like it's pretty much on campus. Mm. And uh, with that one, I had 20 groups that yeah. all wanted it, yeah. all wanted it. And I, I actually had a bidding war. <laughs> and uh, that's a great scenario if you can get into that one. But that's, that's a little hard to achieve. 
uh, generally speaking. So yeah, it really depends on on what you've got. But I would say any landlord, any property, always, always, always have a day that you do showings. Yeah. Don't let them decide. Yeah. You tell them this is when I can show the property. And uh, at least then if you if you try and book people at the same time, even if they, they run into each other, yes. they see that there is interest in this property. You want to make sure they run into each other. Yes. The way I do it is when I call them, I'm telling them, I will meet you at the property. So I make it sound like I'm making an appointment just with them yeah. at this time. They don't know that 10 other people also had the same call at that exact yeah. same time. So yeah. then when they show up, some people get mad. Yeah. So sometimes they get mad. I can definitely relate because I know when I had my showings, I had because I had so much demand, it was insane. I tried to get all 20 groups through at the same time. Yeah. Well, I, I set aside an hour and 15 minutes. So 15 minute slots times five. Yeah. Figured that would be enough. Uh, it it was difficult. Like we had, you know, because it's a six person house. So we had people lined up on the street. I had to say, stay outside. I'll call you in in a second. And then yeah, when people yeah. ask questions, it ran long. It was the craziest hour and a half that uh, I'd pretty much ever, ever experienced, but yeah. in a really good way. But I definitely had, I would say probably 60% of the people, and this is totally my own fault because I didn't set it up. Like I didn't, I didn't start off by like right on my ad saying, hey, price subject to change based on demand. Yeah, um, I didn't set it up as well as I could have. So that's why I would recommend like if you're going to do that ad, put price subject to change right on there. If you know you have good demand. I've never done that. Interesting. Because it comes in because then you can say, well, you know, look, guys, like as I said on my ad, price is subject to change based on demand. There are a lot of you here. So here's what I'm doing. I'm opening it up to offers. And I pretty much did exactly this. I just didn't have that on my ad. So I'd say about 60% of people understood and the other 40% hated my guts, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which I guess you can't pl- blame everyone. Like they're upset, but at the same time, you're doing a service to the person uh, that ends up paying more for that property because that person was willing and they really wanted it and it meant something to them to pay yeah. more for it. So you'd be doing that person a disservice to just flip a coin and give yeah. it to a group, right? Flip a coin yeah. 10 times and, and come down to the final pick. And that's leaving money on the table, which as an investor, why should you have to do that? Yeah. Uh, if you made something that's really, truly that great that somebody wants to pay more for, yeah. I think it's important that you give yourself some sort of an out or some sort of a option that if there is demand, if you if you get your socks blown off by multiple people who want it, that uh, somebody can offer more and take it. I'm going to start doing that now. I've, I've never actually considered that. We, we've done that as well. We just never put it in the ad. But you said yeah. maybe an offer? Well, what, what happened once was the students offered that to us. We had three groups ready to sign. And then we we kind of just went with the first group ready to give a deposit. But then one of the other groups said, hey, if those people back out for any reason, we'll pay you $50 more per student. And it's a group of six. Yeah. For, I forget the exact details. My brother was the one taking care of this. But the first group sort of flaked out. One of the people didn't want it or something happened with that group. And then he just went to the the other group and yeah, we got $50 more than what we had advertised for. <laughs> I think that's how it, ha- it starts, right? Because I, I got this from one of my friends who who does it all the time on his rentals. Like pretty much every single property he has, he gets multiple offers on okay, because well. he sets it up really well. Like yeah. he makes sure everybody comes at the same time, sort of plays them off each other a little yeah. bit. Uh, and, and he'll get fantastic rents. Uh, all the time and i just i just kind of took what he was saying and i kind of made it my own i made it something i'm not gonna say it felt completely natural to me to do it but uh again i think you got to find your own piece find a place that sits but if hey if you got a couple of groups that both want it say 
call them. Hey, like honestly, like both of your groups, you're yeah. both really quick or you're both really good. And uh, tell you what, if, if you guys can do it for this amount, um, the place is yours. You know, say you guys have a, have the slight edge. Yeah, yeah I, I would like to do the the deal with you. Uh, if you can do it for this, I'll, I'll do it. And or something along those lines, right? You're gonna figure your you're gonna figure out what works for you. I'm curious though. Let me ask you a question. Your student rentals. Have you had situations where groups of students would renew their lease for a second or third year? Yes. Like I, I've to be honest, I've never had that happen. Every single year, all my student rentals turn. I think we just had one this year that extended it, but. Maybe it's the demographic of this school, but mm-hmm. like for some reason, every single year it vacates, but then they let us know ahead of time. So we get a whole new group yeah. to sign, but I- I'm still trying to figure out why. <laughs> like, I don't get it. <laughs> Turnover is expensive on student rentals. Uh, that's so your student rental for a college, right? Um, UTM. So it's still technically. What's UTM stand for? Uh, University of Toronto in Mississauga. Oh, okay. So it's still the university. It's a university, but I guess smaller than like a McMaster or a Western, right? So sometimes what can happen is there's a lot of satellite campuses for different schools and they'll have it. So maybe one year of the program is spent at the satellite campus and then the other years are at the main campus. Okay. So that might be what you're running into. Most of the stuff that I have is, is pretty newly renovated, like within the last three years. Yeah. And, uh, so the groups that moved into those places finished out their university careers just in the in the houses house. that I had. That's so yeah. it was it was just a little bit of gymnastics for me because when I got people in, it was actually when they were under renovation. These these properties were under renovation. So I I'd have the property manager showing the house when it was like, you know, a lot of stud walls <laughs> and you know, I got the HVAC guy in there working. So they had to kind of conceptualize yeah. what this was going to be. Yeah. And generally speaking, I find that's a pretty easy rent because if you can show them a finished product, you say, this is, you know, this is what I do. Yeah. Here's, here's my finished product. Here's what I'm doing with this one. Hey, take a look at a couple of photos. This is my kitchen. Yeah. So you start selling them on the vision. And I've shown people through a house that was just absolutely gross and bad, <laughs> but, uh, I was able to explain what was going to happen. Yeah. And, uh, they were great with it. And, and I've, I've signed a few leases that way. I've, I've had my property manager have similar luck. I don't use him anymore, but similar luck, fired. similar way. <laughs> he fired me. Yeah. You know what? We're still fine. Like we'll still, uh, we'll still chat here and there. I get where they were coming from. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so there is one property that I have that has been turning over on a yearly basis, but it seems to just be the groups. Okay. It's just like, you know, is it as of, renovated as the rest or it's not as so that's where it's what's got me thinking but so yeah. it's a duplex up down okay and the group upstairs uh has turned over every year i've owned it and okay. the group downstairs has been there as long as i've owned it so the guys downstairs are great mm. girls upstairs just it seems to be group conflict every time like okay, oh they, like the current group is breaking up because one of the girls in the group they all can't stand and i don't want to get into these politics i'm like well can't you guys just replace her (laughs) yeah here's where i find the funniest thing like me and my brother have long discussions about this because if you if you look all our competition or many of our competition will say looking for female or girl students like it's like all the guys are kind of kicked out and it's like they're looking for female students in our experience we've had both guy students and girl students we've had good and we've had bad but more recently we've had bad not bad just 
annoying situations that come up with groups of female students, mm-hmm. especially with that what you just said, intergroup conflict. They come in as friends. Now at the end of the semester, it's like half of them hate the other half, or like everyone hates one student because they do something weird in the property or whatever. And then it's like now the good situations is when we tell the group, okay, you guys like the home, you want to stay over, which is the that one sort of lease renewal. Mm-hmm. They just found replacements for anyone yeah. who didn't want to stay. Uh, so we didn't have to do any work. They did it for us. But um, yeah, the other times it's it's just a pain in the butt to like, <laughs> it's like, why, why are you giving me your problems? Like figure yeah. it out. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a challenging thing to deal with. And I'm not sure what the right answer is. Because quite honestly, I, I was never really in the business of managing them. I was more in the business of creating them. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, now I've now I'm so I used to just kind of create them. I'd renovate them and, and then hand it off to the property manager, yeah. which was sort of where I wanted to be. I didn't want to deal with this stuff. Yeah. But now I look at it as just another system I need to implement. Yeah. And with the students, I think that if you can try and find a way to get them on a multi-year lease, get them to sign for multi-years, it can be difficult. But the better your product is, the more likely that is to happen. Like the ones I was telling you about that that did the bidding war, they also offered three years. So they're going to be there for their second, third, and fourth year. And they're going to finish out their university career in my house. And that to me is fantastic because turnover costs a lot of money. I mean, my property manager was charging me three quarters of last month's rent plus tax. And, you know, it's just not a, a great position, especially because you're, you know, where we are for our friends in the States that you don't, might not have this problem, but where we are, the existing tenants can choose to stay yeah. in. And uh, so they can just stay on a month to month basis. And I can't tell them to leave. Yeah. I, there are a couple of things that I, I have in my arsenal that I can use. Yeah. But when somebody kind of tells you, oh, well, we might stay. And I've been put, put in that position a couple of times. Prime time to rent. So our our rental season is May 1st to April 30th. Prime time to rent for the coming May is in the, uh, say, October or November before that. So so about five, six months before. Really? Yeah. For for where I am, for the university student rentals. Every every university is different. Yeah. They just, the kids just seem to keep keep looking earlier and earlier. (laughs) Um, It's a big thing for them. Like, if you think about it, like they're, they've just met people. They've just met people and they're they're choosing who they're going to spend the next year or potentially three years yeah. with yeah. in a house. So I can see why conflict arises. This is why student rentals typically pay more in cash flow. Yeah, because you might have to deal. It's a little bit more of a business. Yeah. It can still be run systematically. But I think I think that you need the systems a heck of a lot more in yeah. a student rental than a family rental. And uh, it's cool. Like I didn't know that. I think you had mentioned you had student rentals. Yeah. <laughs> um, I didn't know which way this this talk was going to go today, but I think it's good that we're talking about student rentals and we might as well dig into it because that's yeah. kind of what you were drawn to. Yeah. And uh, obviously that's what I was drawn to because it was like the one thing I understood. Yeah, I understood before anything else, I understood coming out of university what students wanted in a living situation. Um, how many student rentals do you have right now? Currently three. You have three right now. Yeah. And they're all in the same area? Yeah, same place. Okay. What tell me a little bit about the benefits? Like, why did you want to own student rentals from a financial side? Like, what what was it about them? So going into it, the first two properties, like I mentioned, single family homes, we tried the rent to own and single family. At the end of the day, they weren't cash flowing much. It was like barely anything after paying for our expenses. We decided, you know, the next property we buy, we need cash flow. 
like we need to be paid for the work we're doing. Um, of course, equity, appreciation, all that is good, but we need at least some properties in our portfolio that cash flow because we, we, we can't just keep growing a portfolio that breaks even. It Like you do that at scale, it's, it's tough, right? You need some income coming in. Um, so I went back to my first idea when I went walked through that campus, which was buy a student rental. And at that time, I didn't know much, but I did a like a Google search properties for sale near UTN. And there was this uh, this old condo building that had four bedroom uh, properties that at that time I thought, okay, what if I live in one room, rent out the other three? Would it break even? I didn't know how to calculate the cost, but I thought maybe it'll break even, right? But now knowing what we knew from those first two properties, we went back and looked at that building and we figured out, hey, the four bedroom units, they're okay, but there's five and there's even six bedroom units within the same building selling for similar prices. So we're like, screw the four bedroom units. Let's get the ones with more bedrooms. Um, so me and my brother, we just did this one ourselves, uh, scraped together every last penny we had. Uh, we bought uh, the first one, um, again, 2015. Okay. Uh, at that, So it's a five bedroom student rental, but it had like this massive den that it's kind of pointless because there's a huge living room and then there's a den the size of a bedroom. So we're like, at first, we just rented it to five students. We're like, right. you know, let's keep it as a dining room or whatever. Recently, we're like, they don't need that space. They don't even want it. Built a partition wall, cost us like pennies, right? Just to build a wall. And then that's an additional room that we're charging the same rent as the other five bedrooms. Uh, so that boosts our cash flow. So why do you, you know, just to surround this topic, and I think it's very topical. Uh, why do you think that not everybody is just adding bedrooms? You want to be ca- careful with it. Like the, the reason we didn't do it right up front is I didn't want to add one bedroom that at that time we were getting about 500 bucks a month per room. I didn't want to get one more room that would add 500 bucks, but then detract from the overall appeal of the other five bedrooms and maybe the rent goes to 450 instead of 500. Right? Right. I didn't want to, I, I like you, like I wanted this property to be better than its competition. I, yeah. I didn't want to essentially just chop up the living room and make like a million bedrooms so people have rooms, but then yeah, you, you'll deal with turnover, you'll deal with worse tenants. You'll There's so many downsides to it. You want to be careful about the choices you do. Um, right. So that's, that's why I, in our case now i know london they have some rules as to the regulation and the licensing um yeah the most that we can do uh unless you're grandfathered in like if if it existed before 2006 their rule is that you can keep it as long as you can prove it yeah so if you have a six bed or a seven bed it can stay that as long as you never changed it away from that since then so they call that grandfathering or grandfathering in um but I, I've seen landlords do stuff like that where they'll chop, yeah. chop something up and they'll cram more students in. Uh, a couple of things that you need to be aware of, and it might not be in every single market that this is a problem. Um, for one, our, we have rental licensing, so they could come in and, and try and shut us down. I, I, you know, I don't know. I haven't really had any headbutting with them. I've, you know, I've complied with the five-bedroom rule, um, and I have one six that was grandfathered in. But uh, they may try and shut you down if you have extras in there. But I think there are some ways around it. I just haven't tried them. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. And uh, so that's one thing to consider. The other thing is, just like you're saying, if you cut out common space, you make your product less desirable. Yeah. You may think this is beautiful, oh, an extra 600 bucks a month. Yeah. 
And then you might actually shoot yourself in the foot and not be able to rent. You might invest in the money to create the bedroom and actually have your product be less desirable. And people turn over. They don't want to stay. Um, there's a lot of things. So you have to, when you're doing a student rental, you have to think, if I were to live here, what would I want? And it yeah. can't just be a ton of bedrooms because, yes, bedrooms add value. Yeah. Like in our market, it could be anywhere from 500 to 750, maybe even 850 a bedroom yeah. in, in rent. Yeah. So it's not small. If you can do it, uh, you just and you just got to know what's that going to do in my market. And the best thing to do is talk to the students, get feedback. Yeah. You know, what do you guys like? What don't you like? You're going to get a lot of random answers. But <laughs> but if you weigh the feedback versus yeah. just taking the feedback you get from the first couple, uh, I think you might see some consistent things. And then, of course, talking to other landlords, what are you doing that's working? Find out what's working in your market because you definitely don't want to Frankenstein your house and Absolutely then you can't not. rent Absolutely it. Yeah. yeah. And then you just wasted a whole bunch of money and you have something that that uh, maybe people don't want. The interesting thing which you just mentioned there about feedback, though, is you need to have a filter as to how you ask these questions. Because, for example, in my building, I have uh, one of my clients, an investor who bought a unit just this past uh, couple of months ago. And um, like he was very nervous going into it. He wanted to make sure it was a safe investment. He was going to be able to get students. So what he did is um, he would just walk around like, and he just saw some UTM students walking on the road. And he just approached them and talked to them. He's like, he asked, on the campus, so he was asking about the on-campus housing during the summer, is there available rooms or is it usually packed? And the answer they gave him was, yeah, it's, you know, it's always like half empty. There's never people, there's always more room available than students. So this made him so worried about the fact he was trying to find students for May 1st. Mm -hmm. And if the campus residence was half empty, maybe the students would opt to go there instead of renting his place on a year lease. Right. So that was his worry. But then what he did is he called the, uh, the campus housing and asked them and they told him they're sold out. <laughs> All oh, the rooms yeah. are accounted for. It may seem empty. Someone's paying for that room. Oh, so okay. you got to be careful where you get your information from. So, for example, like a question about desirability about a place, maybe then ask a student who's going to live there. But then it's important to ask the right questions to the right people. Mm-hmm. Uh, because he could have easily just been uh, like he could have easily been nervous just by that first answer he got and then not gone through with it. He actually got, so we were estimating when we put in the offer and he made, like he decided to buy it, we estimated he could get about 650 per bedroom times six. Okay. That was his numbers going in. He ran the numbers, it cash flowed, he was happy with it. He was actually able to get 725 per bedroom. Wow. $75 more times six. <laughs> Those are happy accidents. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, he's happy now, but especially going into it, it's it's really nerve wracking. So you got to make sure you're getting the right information from the right places mm-hmm. to support like any, it has to be unbiased, right? You can't only look for the good because then you may be missing something. Um, but when you hear maybe some bad news, it's good to dig deeper so that you're, that you're sure about what you're hearing um, and not take everything just at, at its face value. Right. Absolutely. And I know I've heard from people who are in the marketing niche and, and people who, who do that as a career, the debate around surveys and, and focus groups. If, if you want to find out if somebody will buy, offer them a product and see if they buy it. Yeah. You know, how many people would answer yes, yes, I will buy on yeah. a survey. Yeah. 
and then they're presented okay by the way we have that right here yeah will you buy oh well now's not a good time <laughs> so yeah you have to weigh that when you're talking to the students and seeing what they what they like what they don't like here's what i've gleaned in in my market and i think it's probably similar in a lot common area space uh that's a must you want to have your own furniture like Supply them with furniture. I I find that that's been a big selling point. These kids don't have furniture, okay, so they're they're gonna have to go find a couch somewhere. So if you could just provide them with something nice, it's actually gonna keep your house showing better. Because when you bring people through in the future to show, you know, when that group says they're leaving and you want to yeah. get the next group in, if you let leave them to their own devices and pick their own furniture, it's gonna be really ugly and it's gonna make it harder to re-rent that property. Just because they don't typically they don't have they're not gonna spend. Unless they're a higher end clientele, which I, I certainly am trying to get, but I've been p- providing them with with furniture. I find that's a big a big win. I don't provide them with their beds or anything in their bedrooms, just a common area. Okay, so they do their own beds, they do their own desks, all that stuff, dressers, what have you. Yeah. I just take care of of couch, um, like a, a TV on the wall, really, and an <laughs> entertainment unit and a coffee table. That's pretty much it. That's and then I might do like some bar seating if I have some stools for for uh, like a breakfast bar or something along those lines. I find that helps. Yeah. Other things that I know students value a lot and it definitely it definitely uh, helps to rent. Like initially when I did this, it got me a hundred bucks more per bedroom is I put uh, ensuite bathrooms in, awesome. in my, uh, <laughs> my rental, my student rental. And uh, yeah, that was huge. And I had no I had no idea just how big that would be when I did it. I, I was kind of thinking, you know, maybe I'd get 600 and at first that's all I did get, but eventually I got that up to 695. Um, I've heard some people are getting 725 a bedroom for a, a, a student rental bedroom with an ensuite bathroom, like a full ensuite. Yeah. So they got a, a shower with tub surround, yeah. um, like a shower tub and then a toilet and a vanity, obviously. And uh, it's not that hard to to do if you're willing to make the investment but of course it's that's that's a more significant construction project yeah. if you're gonna if you're gonna add that in and you got to have the space yeah so um, those are some things i've found valuable and then if i'm renovating a place i'm already thinking students are hard on things so what can i put in that's durable i put in like luxury vinyl plank with a really awesome. heavy wear layer yeah, yeah so yeah. that even if they're really hard on it i'm still going to be I'm still going to be okay. It's probably going to go out of style before I need to replace it. So those are some things I do. And then of course, kids, you know, they like, wow, they want to, yeah. they want to brag to their friends. So I'll put in an accent wall. Another reason why the furniture sells it like, Oh, well, our, our property came with quartz countertops and a really cool accent wall. And, and uh, that's usually my goal. Like when I'm working on a property, I'm like, how can I create something that kids are going to brag to their friends about? Yeah. And that's, yeah that's how you make sure that you rent right like and i'm always proud of what i create and i think that's part of the challenge being that way (laughs) because i always want it to be so great but sometimes you don't need it to be great so it's it's a little catch-22 sometimes so it's funny that we're both investors in student rentals but i think we've taken completely opposite approaches like for me i would especially now i'm starting to change this but as long as there was demand for students I wouldn't put any money into the place and just take the lower rent. Yeah. And so far, because of the demand, we've been okay until this year. Right now, we're having trouble leasing out one of our student rentals that is in the worst condition. Didn't put a dollar into it since we got it. And it's just dated bathrooms, dated kitchen, 
it has good space, good size bedrooms, but it's just yeah. dated. So this is the first student rentals that we bought so far that we're actually going to put in money to renovate the, the kitchens, the bathrooms, um, put some pot lights, just make it, yeah. spruce it up. Um, but I, I really feel that what you were saying about getting multi-year student leases, that's one of the places we've been missing, right? And I think it, it I think it's correlated. So right. you, it's not that just the higher rent you get, but also is it less management? Is it mm-hmm. um, are the tenants just happier with the place? Um, and is it just going to last longer, especially with the durable materials? So yeah, and, th- and I think being being a property manager and knowing your tenants yourself is going to help if you don't mind dealing with them. Yeah, because you can listen to them, get their feedback, and actually make some adjustments. Yeah, because if yeah, if, if you're not going to listen to them then yeah, they might just be like, oh, I don't really like it here. Let's go somewhere else. Yeah. Right. It happens and you can't please everyone. Sure. It's it, you're going to have turnover. Yeah. Sometimes there's not really anything you can do about it, but uh, let's just get some context in, into your operation. I know we've been rambling about student rentals, which <laughs> is really cool because we've never really just had an episode where we just talked. I haven't uh, where I just talked student rentals. Yeah. Um, so for you, your average student rental, how many bedrooms is, are in it? Uh, so right now, two have six bedrooms and one has uh, five. Five. Okay. And what are you getting on average per bedroom? Uh, so two of them are rented to groups of uh, six and a group of five. Mm-hmm. Those the the group of six just is one we just got this year. That's at six ninety five per room okay. for a group of six, and we asked them to take over the hydro of the place. Um, so the electric for our American uh, electric. That's right. <laughs> electric <yes. laughs> and water. Okay. Uh, not not water. Just oh, just just, just the electric. electric. Okay. Um, and that also again came from experience. We just found that when we pay the hi- the hydro, it's about one hundred fifty a month because they just leave all the lights on, everything on. Mm-hmm. As soon as it's on their name, it goes down to fifty dollars a month, and they pay it split six ways or five ways, right? Yeah. Um, it's a it's something you have to sell to them. You have to tell them that hey, this is an extra cost, uh, but it's about presenting it in the right way if you if you tell them hey it's yeah. a way for you to build up your credit yeah you just got to present it in a way that um the students know that they can use it to help build up their credit yeah okay so it, it's it's beneficial to them it, it builds their credit they might get a reputation with the, the utility and then yeah. you know in the future that helps them too yeah. yeah as long as you've got a way to sell that to them i think it's worth it i see the value i do pay the utilities for the students because i just i don't think they want to deal with it yeah. so to make it easier on them i i cover it Fortunately, I've had pretty good luck with it. What you can do is you could write a clause in your lease that says reasonable like use. Yeah, yeah I, I'll put it at like 400 for all utilities. Like if all utilities exceed 400, I've never enforced it. But if something really bad happened and uh, and it was too unreasonable, then I I would definitely consider it. 400 is actually a pretty good. Like how much are your average utilities? Well, that's 400 between electric, water, and gas. Yeah, yeah. And 400... Uh, I actually don't usually hit that. I hit that on my duplex, which is older, and I didn't yeah. renovate that. Yeah. But my newer stuff last year, I haven't actually, sorry, in the 2017 numbers I had, yeah. I averaged 250 a month per property. That's really good. So I guess you're putting in new furnaces and like higher efficiency. Yeah, they're a higher efficiency furnace, water okay. heater, and yeah. uh, that helps. Yeah. Okay. 
yeah, def- definitely helps. Like the newer furnaces obviously get a little yeah. bit better. Um, I do like LED everything. So okay. all the lights are LED, things like that. Yeah. Um, so they can leave them on for all, they, all I care. It's, <laughs> it really won't uh, true, make true. a big difference. Water tends to be one that, that adds up. Yeah. Especially if you've got like the six bed, I noticed that they're using a lot more water. Yeah. So there's certain things where, oh, yeah, it's going to be more. Having like six bathrooms also. Yeah. <laughs> well, but they would, you know, They'd just because they have it. Yeah. They, they shouldn't really use extra. But I actually like the private bathrooms uh, for another reason is it keeps the kids out of each other's hair. Like you could just go into your room and aside yeah. from eating, yeah, you don't really, really need to come out. And they, they don't have to worry about like yeah. who cleans the bathroom yeah. and who like taking turns. And yeah. That. Clean your own bathroom. And, and, <laughs> and if they need to get a replacement when you're trying to find like say one person to come into a group where they don't know the other five students definitely then they'll be like well i have my own private bathroom so at least i can get away yeah you know at least i don't have to you know i can kind of take baby steps to uh you know getting familiar with everyone so uh there are some benefits there so you're let's just do uh some quick numbers here um regarding your student rental you've got six bedrooms on one let's just do the numbers and then you've got um 600 a room uh 695 695 yep you're doing well. Holy. Just this year. We, yeah. we bumped it up nicely. <laughs> so six bedrooms at 695 works out to be 4170 on the house. Yep. That's not a bad rent. I like the sounds of that. <laughs> um, okay. And what is your net cash flow on that? The last time I ran the numbers after we got that lease, my... I don't know if I included everything, but I think it was in and around twenty five hundred to twenty six hundred a month. Now, is that budgeting like maintenance or anything like that, or that that's going to come off of that? I don't. But here's the thing: it's a condo, so there's okay. no roof, foundation, anything external is covered by the condo fee, yeah. and they have a reserve for that. So it would only be the interior maintenance of the property. Um, we haven't budgeted anything, yeah. um, so maybe if. It'll reduce it a bit. But. Sure. So say, even if you say adjusted that, it took 500 off across the year, which is be super conservative. Yeah. It's not going to be that much for you, sounds like. Yeah. But even at $2,000, that's yeah. pretty strong cash flow. So that's after property taxes, yes. insurance, yes. and uh, your mortgage, of course. Yeah. All that stuff. And you're not paying utilities or you are? Uh, so the condo fee includes the water and the gas. And then the tenants pay the hydro. <laughs> so the tenants just pay their electric and, yeah. and then you're, uh, you're keeping the rest. So, so you're getting, say, even call it $2,000. let us just call it 2000 to be super conservative. Uh, which is actually what we're planning on doing. So we're planning on taking a dividend of 2000 out, mm-hmm. leaving the rest in the bank account for the house okay. so that it just builds up over time and then any expenses can come out of that. So you guys are just going to start paying yourself? So that was the plan until we found out some options of refinancing the place, which will increase our cost yeah but now we can buy like a couple more so <laughs> what do you what did you buy this place for Two hundred and forty thousand. when did you buy it for that 2015. that's a that's a pretty uh pretty nice number you got there yeah no it was i wish we could have bought like you know the craziest thing there was this one deal we had a joint venture partner lined up with the capital we didn't have enough money after we mm-hmm. bought the first two and there was a deal lined up. We got it under contract for 280. Mm-hmm. This was a four bedroom instead of a five or six, but it was just beautifully renovated by the seller. And we knew even at that time we'd get a premium rent on a group of four. Um, 
the our partner um, was a Canadian, but just living abroad for a couple of years, he was a close family friend. He had the like 60 or 65 grand in cash, in savings, ready to go. And we told him we'd qualify for the mortgage. A few weeks before that, my brother decided that he didn't like his job. He was going to quit and go like have a bit of time off. When we went to get the financing, my income alone after accounting for the debt we had on our existing rentals, I couldn't qualify for it. That one property we had on a contract for 280 is now going to sell for about like 450. Yeah, that that deal just stings even to this day because it's like we had it locked up under contract. It was beautifully renovated, ready to rent. We had the joint venture partner ready with the capital. <laughs> but uh, anyways, yeah, it's tough. It's tough seeing the deals get by here, right? The ones you just yeah. wish you could you could have hung on. Well, to. after meeting yeah. you and everything you've done with private financing, I wished at that time we could have. Like he had the twenty percent down as a down payment. Yeah. Sure, we pay a stupid rate on like the rest, but it gives us time to get it, get it rented, and get us time to figure it out. Yes. Right? Like, well, that's okay. So, very interesting topic, and one I, I haven't really dug into in, in depth on the show is yeah, using private financing when when the deal comes around. Don't yeah. be afraid to pay a little bit extra yeah. because if it gets the deal done, yeah. you're talking about a jump. You could have got it for for two eighty. And it would have been worth four fifty without doing any renos. Exactly. So, so you would have just had massive appreciation. And granted, it's sometimes it's hard to bank on that. Yeah. But sometimes there's really an an obvious deal yeah. where you know you'd make the money. And and some people get all hung up. They're like, oh, I don't want to pay 10, 12, whatever percent. And I don't blame you. I don't want to pay that either. But yeah. at the same time, if you just treat that as an expense, just like landscaping and new kitchen, yeah. it's just a line item. On a profitability statement, if you're profitable, you're profitable, yeah. right? So you have to look at those things as a, as a cost of doing business. So in this case, um, you didn't get that one, but you did get yourself a great deal that you bought for two forty. Yeah. yeah. So two forty, your cash flow is two thousand on it. Did you get a? a you put twenty percent down on that? Uh, yeah. So on that one, uh, me and my brother split it. Uh, so it was a full, I think around fifty thousand once you count your legal fees and everything. So. Yeah. About yeah. 50, so about forty-eight. So so fifty thousand down. Maybe so, a little bit more. Yeah. But okay. We'll we'll call it fifty thousand for simplicity. <laughs> so fifty thousand dollar down payment, and you're getting two thousand a month cash flow. So let's calculate returns. So cash flow uh, at two thousand a month is going to be equal to twenty four thousand a year, which is absolutely insane. I think that's the biggest number I've ever heard for a single house. Yeah. Sorry, that's a townhouse. Uh, or a condo apartment. It's, it's like a it's a stacked town. So okay. it's two floors, but then the building has like six floors. So there's three sort of levels of okay. townhouses. Yeah. Okay. And then I anyone who who follows the podcast knows I always calculate these three things sure. when I'm calculating returns. So one is your cash flow. The next is your principal pay down. So your mortgage is paying down. And then the last is property appreciation, okay. which I'll never go with the actual number where we are because. Uh, we don't know if we can get that number in the future, but sure. I'll usually say two or three percent. Sure. Um, so, so for principal pay down, I always say three um, yeah. percent is a pretty safe bet. Um, if you if you figure out, it's it's kind of a back of the napkin kind of uh, figure, <laughs> but it t- it tends to work. Yeah. So three percent of your mortgage, which would have been one hundred and ninety. Yeah, it was like at one hundred and ninety-two, I think. Okay. So um, since we bought it, we're actually coming up on our. Fifth year, I don't know. I think maybe next year, right? Twenty twenty. 
Um, so far, I think it's at like 175,000 now. Okay, so yeah, yeah, exactly. So now that's that's why people need to factor that. I'm not sure everybody factors that in when they're figuring their profitability, but yeah. you're paying down that mortgage. One day, that's, that's going to be mortgage-free. And if you sell it, all the cash is yours. Uh, so appreciation in this case, um, that is going to be, so we'll calculate 3% on the 240. So 0.03, so that's 7,200. So your total return... Obviously, most of it is cash flow, but you're getting thirty six thousand nine hundred and sixty a year okay. <laughs> between cash flow, appreciation, and principal pay down. So that's that's based on those three numbers. Yeah. Does that sound okay to you? Which is also again like going into it, I didn't even calculate the pay down or the appreciation. I just looked at the cash flow. Cash flow. That's enough. If the property doesn't appreciate a dollar, I'm happy. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reality was like completely opposite to what i was expecting well i think that's important when you go in and buy something cash flow has always got to be your number one because for all you know you might not get appreciation yeah. we might get we might get a 10-year uh crash that yeah. well, uh, you know a crash that takes 10 years to recover from so if you have cash flow you'll be like well it's worth less i can't refinance it but i technically it has not hurt me and it only hurts you when exactly. you lock in the loss exactly. so that thirty-six thousand nine sixty, just to put some insane context to this over your fifty thousand dollar investment your return on investment on that deal in one year the first year was 73.9 percent really yeah so you you invested you invested fifty thousand yeah including your down payment and legal fees interesting yeah you see i'm, I'm teaching Koken his own return <laughs> his own amazing return um so you got twenty four thousand a year in, in cash flow you got Principal pay down of, of 5760. You got appreciation of 7200. So that's a total of 36,960. And then you got you divide that out. So 36,960 over 50,000 investment. You're uh, you're about 75 while well, 73.9%. That's amazing. In reality, you actually did better cuz you got better than 3% appreciation. We got so 240. I had a client buy an almost identical unit in that building like 2 months ago for 485. So, so two forty to four eighty five. Your property is doubled. Yeah, and it's May of twenty fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen. So just under four years. So you're getting roughly twenty percent a year. Yeah. Well, yeah, compounding it's a little less, but yeah, you're getting you're getting quite a bit on appreciation. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, appreciation for anyone who uh, is not familiar with that term. That's just your property going up in value. And Koken, uh, you've done extremely well on that deal. Has your other student rental have the other two performed equally as well? The second one we bought for two sixty eight uh, the following year, uh, so twenty sixteen. So that actually went up more because yeah. we paid like thirty grand over, but now the value is about the same, and it's been three years. <laughs> yeah. So, but the the final one we ended up paying a higher price. Mm-hmm. Uh, we paid four hundred thousand. That's the five bedroom one. So I guess off the three, it's the lowest cash flow, mm-hmm. um, but the highest return. Um, the funniest thing about that one was we partnered up with um, a friend of ours. They were close friends of ours who had never bought a property before. Mm-hmm. We bought that student rental with a 5% down payment, yeah. uh, rented out the five bedroom. So it's cash flowing with a 5% down payment. And we bought it at 400000 Okay. And it's still cash flowing like five hundred yeah. when we bought it. Now it's at seven fifty because we bumped up the rents. And they've still built like fifty grand in equity, but they bought it with like twenty grand out of pocket. So they're probably getting a better ROI than even us 
yeah. when we bought at a cheaper price because they're almost nothing into it, right? Yeah, and this this goes back to an important lesson, and that's to leverage, right? Yeah. Whether you're leveraging more on one property or whether you're borrowing against property B to finance property A, if you can get in with zero, your return on investment is astronomical. It's yeah. infinity. You can't calculate it because you have no money in. Yeah. <laughs> and all you really have is an opportunity cost, right? If I take money out of property B to be able to buy property A, now property B is leveraged and I might not be able to borrow against it again. Yeah. So you still have to look at each deal you're putting your money into and say, is that providing a good return on, well, return on equity, quote unquote, you might not have any. But if you just look at that property on its own and say, typically, I'd have to put 20% down. So in your case, that's 50 grand. How well is that 50 grand going to perform? Yeah. You know, and then you might see a few deals and decide that this is the best deal for me. Yeah. This deal is going to provide me the return I want. Um, So real quick, Koken, tell me a little bit about your partner structure you started with your parents now you and your brother have partnered on several yep and you've brought in some other partners as well yeah so um we started we meaning me and my brother so me and my brother are partners on every single deal that we currently own um just in different ways so the ones where we have an external money or like down payment or credit partner we're each 25 percent ownership and then when we buy together we're 50 50 um And with the external, so we got into it with our family just because there was no other way to get started. We had to work together. Yeah. Uh, now we've grown to the point where now we have some expertise. We know with a few investments, like ways to put it together in, like, for example, the student rental where most people wouldn't be able to do it the way we have. Just our experience, our know-how, our understanding of that market the tenant profile, the rents they can generate. Yes. Um, it has helped us convey this to investors who, when they see it on paper and they're like, okay, you guys know how to do it. You've done it yourself with your own money. Yes. So we can trust you with ours, right? Yeah, the more experienced you are, the more you get to write the terms. Yeah. You know, when when you can establish with people that, hey, like, we know what we're doing. We do this a lot. This yeah. is what we do. Yeah. And uh and it, it, it works especially well if you've already done a deal with them. Yeah. You say, you, you guys know what we do. And, it, and then it's it's really just like, hey, call us when you're ready. Like, yeah. that's that's what they'll say. Or, hey, you know, I'm really, I can't wait till you find another another project. I had an investor yeah. say that to me uh, just the other day. She's like, I pray you find another one soon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, when you nourish that relationship with your investors. So so everything you've done to date is, is joint venture, correct? Technically, yeah. Okay. So which nothing wrong with that. I've I've had a few people on the show where that's like everything they, they're doing and, and there's a big benefit to that. Even it, when you get into the high numbers, is if you're working with somebody that pushes you, yeah, you guys work together as a team, sometimes you can crush out way more than you ever yeah. could on your own individually. I think I think I'm a beneficiary of that. Like especially when I got started, mm-hmm. I am super analytical and I'm always looking at what's the worst case scenario. My brother is the complete opposite. He doesn't look at risks. He's only, what's the next opportunity? What's the next opportunity? If he was on his own, he'd probably go crazy. If I was on my own, maybe I wouldn't get started. But by working together, he's pushing me to get the next deal. I'm always telling him, okay, let's get the next deal. But what are the risks? We have to evaluate it so that Mm -hmm. I tone it down a certain degree. Uh, Now, after a couple of years doing this, Sometimes it even flips, right? Because now, especially me being a realtor, I'm looking at active deals happening with all my clients. Then I tell him, look, my client did this. There's this amazing opportunity where this is what they did. 
and let's do the same thing. Yeah. And then he's like, ah, I don't know, it seems a little bit risky. But, you know, sometimes it flips. Uh, but definitely when we got started, like Mike, I'm super analytical to the point where it can be detrimental to me if I don't get someone to push me along. <laughs> yeah. I'd say I, I have a similar tendency sometimes. Yeah. Um, it, it, I, I'm pretty into the numbers. I, I look at things really objectively. I'm pretty careful, but I find it is helpful to have somebody, you know, with me that that can also be objective and say, yeah. well, let's not be overly conservative. Let, yeah. Let's let's be fair here. Let's yeah. let's let's look at what's likely to happen as well as the worst case. And yeah. and and make a more balanced decision. And uh, a friend of mine, we we partnered up and we did a ton of deals. We started a company together. Um, we sold some houses, renovated them. Um and we pushed each other. We did yeah. we did a lot of volume because we were always, you know, every day talking to each other. And it, you know, it was it was lots of work, but you know, it's it's a special thing and and not something to take for granted. So I definitely yeah. say there's a benefit uh, working with a joint venture. And, and even if you do it for a time and then eventually you you have built up some capital or if you've made an arrangement with your investors that it's not a joint venture anymore, yeah. um, you know, that all that experience builds. And, and then you always have that and anyone, you know, people get that from you. I just had Matt Pichet on the show yesterday and he was talking about how every single person who's ever invested with him came from YouTube. So he was able to make people trust him just with how he is. Like the guy just no filter, puts out YouTube videos, talks, does his thing and people like it. People, yeah, people resonate with him. They reach out and they invest with him. Um, the more experience you have, like he came on the podcast, you know, somebody's probably going to hear that and say, Hey, I'm going to invest with them, you know, just because he's, he's, he's all out there fully exposed as to what he is as an investor, what he does. And, um, that's powerful. So build your reputation as an investor and and it's going to serve you long way down the road. I think one part about this is also that investing can be a lonely journey, right? Like there may be some situations you encounter that, if you don't have like a network of other investors or if you don't know other people in the same journey as you, yep. it can be quite like you may be facing problems that no one in your family, no one in your normal circle of friends, for example, may even understand. Correct. Right. So it's good to have, if not a partner, like a joint venture partner, even just friends who are in the same journey as you, you can just bounce ideas off of each other. You can like go to them and say, hey, I have this problem. Yeah. Do you have any any idea how I can uh, solve it. And then it it's a way to sort of, again, real estate is all about time. Mm-hmm. You got to go through the time it takes to build wealth. And part of it is, you know, it can be a lonely journey. So having a team of people, having friends just in it together can go a long way. I agree. Very true. Right. Just a support system, right? That's what uh, sometimes a joint venture partner is just that unless yeah. you have a silent joint venture partner that doesn't, that doesn't <laughs> want to be involved and then, then they might not. But yeah, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a friend and it's an ally that, that thinks like you do. And as an investor, that ke- the value of that can't be under, uh, overstated. Yeah. Uh, so if you're not doing that, get out to events, come out to the event I'm hosting, uh, on April 24th, uh, to meet other investors and, and help build each other up because yeah. that's, that's critical on this journey. A uh, little more context, Koken. How many properties are you at right now? Seven. Seven properties now, and you're only 23. Yep. <laughs> I hadn't even bought my first property at 23, so uh, you're on a you're on a good uh, off to a good start. And approximately right now, out of all of what you have, what access to cash flow do you have? What's that producing for your life? 
ballpark. So far, to be honest, just $625 is what I'm taking out of my portfolio right now. Okay. The rest you're leaving in? Uh, yeah. Now, we've had a few properties that, for example, I bought a fourplex mm-hmm. where it cash flows on paper, except our strategy is not to buy it and take the cash flow. We want to turn over some of the units, renovate. So it's going to require capital. So we're not taking money out of it. We're sort of keeping it there so that we can invest, reinvest the money into it. Um, so not all my properties, like these, the student rentals are doing really well on cash flow. Some of the other projects have been cash intensive where I'm yeah. putting money into them right. um, in order to generate a return to yeah. accomplish a goal. So you're build, you yeah. build reserves, you use them, you put money back into yeah. the properties. Is real estate your only investment avenue? Uh, currently, yeah, 100%. That's uh, the right answer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like I've, I've dabbled in stocks. I've, I've done things before I bought my first place where like, the savings I had for the down payment, it had to be somewhere, right? Yeah. So I bought a few stocks and actually did reasonably well on them. But like when you look at the ki- the that first investment property, like I sold some shares in like Bell or yeah. s- some other REIT that I took the money to put it into that property. There's no way any other investment can, like I can't even think of an investment that can compete with the return just on that one property. Like, of course, the appreciation, you can't count on it, but it happened. Now I'm sitting in a situation where I can refinance that, take that money out, go buy like two, three more homes, right? Like, and this is just going to compound it further, right? right? Factor, yeah, figure out what your return is on every single property. If you can re-leverage that property and buy another one, yeah, compound it. You're still young. Give it 30 years. They're all paid off. All of a sudden, you're a millionaire times 10, 20, 30, um, where... uh, you know, other people out there never own more than their own home. And then maybe by the time they retire, they've got, you know, 500,000. So, so there, are, there are many people who are in that scenario. So so starting where you're at is, is fantastic. You're obviously still young, but you've got tons of wisdom. What's one thing you would recommend to somebody who wants to get started? They haven't yet, but they're, they're wanting to get started. Find a way to do it. It doesn't have to be the traditional way. Find a way to get it done and of course, learning is part of it. You got to speak to the right people, like understand what you have to do. But like in my case, when I got started, technically I was 17 years old. It wasn't even my 18th birthday when we had the first property under contract. Mm-hmm. I couldn't sign the witness section for the deal that my parents were going to qualify for the mortgage on. Like I, I had to find someone else to witness it because I couldn't sign the witness section. Of course, now you don't need that because you have electronic signatures, but <laughs> that was the time. <laughs> um, but in that case, like I couldn't qualify on my own. I had literally no money. So just getting started. But here was a way I could solve a problem. My parents had were not entrepreneurs. They, they were frugal, diligent, but they, they didn't have the risk appetite to go learn something new to, to go invest in real estate. But they wanted to. They had that desire, but they couldn't do it. So by me and my brother being young, enthusiastic, driven to do it, we allowed them to invest in real estate by helping them to do it and be the active partners. So like for the listeners of the show, you may not be in the same situation, but whatever your situation is, don't just look at, oh, it's stacked against me. Property prices are higher. Um, It's hard to qualify for a mortgage. I don't have any money. That may be the situation, Find a way to do it, even if it's like an extreme example. Find an investor, even like yourself, Mm -hmm. and then tell them, hey, you know what? 
let me be your property manager. Let me do something for you to learn how to do it. I will work for free. Let me be part of it so that I get to learn how to do it. And now I have something of value. I can go get a joint venture partner. I can go do something because now I have something, right? Something of value I can contribute. Um, so now if you have the money, you have the credit, then just go ahead and buy, buy a house. But, uh, but is that really what you would say to do? Because if you have the money and you have the credit, you still might not know how to employ it. You might not know what to do. Yes. So you need to find, you need to find the right people. Um, I think so far in my investing, that was partly by luck, but I, I really felt that I was, I was put around genuine people that wanted to help me of course they were going to make money by me buying the property by getting the mortgage everything along the way it was their job that's how they make money but they really had a genuine interest in helping me accomplish my goal like they wanted to see me do well it like they had that genuine desire and because of that like even the realtor i I talked to her to this day about the properties we bought with her and like so many times, not even before we bought the property, but after, a year after, two years after, whenever I have a tenant turnover, I'm calling her and I, I was asking her, you know what, this is our situation. We have these showings booked up, but for whatever reason, we can't find the right property or this tenant wants to end the lease early. So I'd go with her with questions and then she'd still give the advice because she was coming from a genuine place of helping. It helped her in her life. Here I was coming to her, working with her. She wanted to see me have the similar results. Awesome. And the people wanting to give back and you can, you yeah. can grab onto that. Yeah. That's, that's great. What's one thing you would suggest not to do? So if you had one piece of advice for uh, investors getting started, what's one thing that they should not do? This is what I, I tell most of my clients and I would, I would say it's applicable. Um, start simple. Don't go all out on the first property. There are so many strategies. There's so many, um, types of investing where you can be successful in it the the block to many investors is that they don't know how to do it and it's too much like even for myself my student rental was my third investment Mm -hmm. and i'm happy that it was my third investment and not my first because some of the struggles that came along the way i don't think i was the right person to deal with those problems if that was my third if that was my first property but the what i learned with my first two properties made me the person that could deal with those problems when it came to the third property. So like even now, most of the time when an investor just comes to me and has no clue how to invest, I tell them, okay, let's start simple. Let's find a single family home where the numbers make sense. And it's not going to give you a ton of cash flow. It's not going to be like this amazing, like like the case study we just gave. That's not it, right? But it's going to be a property where you can find a quality tenant who will pay their rent, who will take care of the property, will be the most simplest way to get started in investing that learning from that experience you can then decide how you want to expand how you want to grow right and if you go through the process like i did and decide that oh it's not enough cash flow i want something with more cash flow it allows you to pivot into like a student rental or something that has the higher potential um, versus for example starting with something with a higher potential and then it gives you maybe a problem that you're not ready to handle. Right. And then that stops you. Okay. Right. So. Yeah. I, I think that uh, you're on the right track with that. And I agree. 
the the things that might get you out of the game right don't expose yourself to a situation that's going to knock you out of the game yeah but you know start simple simple on a cocktail napkin napkin it, sh- it should make sense if you yeah. can't fit it on a cocktail napkin then you probably shouldn't do the yeah. deal you know it should make sense you should be able to explain that deal and, and the value in it and why it's good yeah just real quick back of the envelope cocktail napkin uh, numbers uh so i fully agree there uh Koken, we're uh, we're getting to be about that time. So if uh, if somebody would like to get a hold of you, what is the best way? Uh, so I'll I'll maybe give you a link where you can put in the sure. show notes. Yeah, um, put in the show notes. I have a YouTube channel with not a lot of videos. It's not consistent at all, which I mm-hmm. kind of sad about. But uh, it's called Koken R E I Coach, same as um, okay. my Instagram handle, uh, where you can check out some videos and. Again, same link uh, will be there. Sure, I'll put the I'll put the links in the uh, in the episode uh, notes. Okay, and um, if anyone wants to reach me, it's at the Andrew Hines on Instagram and on Facebook. Best way to get me is on Instagram. And uh, so, just before we go, questions for you: What's your favorite uh, book? Uh, Think and Grow Rich. Um, read it during high school. Didn't understand it, but it's planted the seed. That, that went a long way. I still don't understand it, but <laughs> <laughs> I have I have read it or tried or listened. It's, it's not easy yeah. to read it. It's a, yeah. it's a tough read. <laughs> There's a, there was a, a book, I think it was called The Art of Closing by Brian Tracy. That was like the first okay, yeah. personal development book I ever read. And he gave me the idea of the university on wheels. Mm-hmm. So every time you're driving somewhere, you're yeah. always listening. And I just... I, I took that to the extreme. I've got a huge audible library, always listening and then really only discovered podcasts somehow. I guess I've been living under a rock uh, <laughs> in the last year and I really started getting into that and yeah. just the amount of free value uh, that's out there in addition to what you can do in books. I mean, nowadays education nowadays education has never been more at your fingers. Just just so you know, everyone listening, like this is the best time to do it. You've never had yeah. better access. Um, what would be like a dream vacation for you? Uh, so I'm planning it right now. Um, a couple. I want to go to Japan. Uh, my wife's from Japan, so we want to go visit our family. Um, and uh, I've been researching a lot into the whole points and miles game, where you get credit cards for the sign-up bonuses. Yeah. I want to. There's something called a uh, mini round-the-world trip. Okay. Uh, so I want to try and do that. <laughs> that sounds interesting. You'll have to tell me about it. And uh, what's one unique thing that people don't really know about you, or most people don't? Um, I mean, I'm half Japanese, half Sri Lankan. Um, that was a question I had, actually. <laughs> like, your, your name definitely sounded Japanese. Yeah, yeah. I wasn't sure. Yeah, so half Japanese, half Sri Lankan. Um, Interesting mix. Yeah. How'd your parents meet? That is a long, interesting okay, story. <laughs> we'll do that next time. Okay. Well, uh, thanks, Koken. I really appreciate, uh, really appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, 23 years old killing it absolutely uh with seven properties i can only imagine what you'll have done by 30 so yeah, that's uh the dream. <laughs> so stay in touch and we'll have to have you back on to, to tell us uh tell us all uh what you've been up to okay yeah, this was fun yeah it was okay we'll talk soon <laughs>